Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. Owen and Ken here with the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast, a sport we all love, Ken. Football. Oh, yes. It's fair to say. Do we love it so much that we would sacrifice millions of pounds just to play in the odd five aside? I certainly would. You would sacrifice the millions of pounds to play in the game five aside? <laughs> Well, I don't. I, you don't know where sure. I'm going with it yet, so you're, I'm you're not, not really sure. sure how to answer. But I mean, my commitment to the game is such that I would, uh, you know, I probably, I think I probably would. Okay, yeah. Well, Rory, well, the reason I bring this up, Kenneth, Rory McIlroy loves his kick around so much that he's not going to stop for anybody, not even for his own ankle injuries. No matter how many times he busts his ankle and misses out on British Opens, he's going to keep playing his beloved football. He's back in action at the USPGA in Wisconsin. Anytime I go back home, one of the things I regularly do with my friends is play football, he said. That was the fourth or fifth time in a 10-day period where I played football. I enjoy it. We all enjoy it. It's unfortunate it happened, but it can happen walking off a tee box. It can happen falling off a curb on the side of the street. It can happen doing anything. And unfortunately, my foot just got stuck on the turf and went over it. But Rory, will you stop playing? You know, given that you're a professional sportsman in a different sport and you have just missed out on a number of lucrative tournaments because of your ankle injury? Not at all, says no. Rory. I might take some precautionary measures next time, maybe wear ankle braces on both ankles. But apart from that, I'm not going to stop doing what I do. I enjoy that part of my life. I enjoy doing a normal thing in my life, something I've done since I was a kid, and I won't stop doing that. No. Well, look, to be honest, right, uh, if I had as much money as Rory McIlroy, I would cheerfully spend a few million just to be able to play football once in a while. <laughs> I mean, what's the, what's the difference is it going to make? You know, the man is high net worth individual. I mean, at some, how much, how much money uh, can he possibly use? How much land does a man need? Owen? It is also the advantage, I guess, of being an individual sportsman, uh, as opposed to being involved in a team. If he's involved, if it's the other way around, and he's say, I don't know, we'll say Wayne Rooney, and Wayne Rooney decides, you know, I like boxing. Well, actually, this is a bad example because Wayne Rooney <laughs> did have that boxing incident last year with uh, who, who was it that supposedly knocked him out. Uh, well, well, it was one of his mates, wasn't it? In his, in his house. Was it not? Oh, no, was, former, it, was it Phil Barsley? It was Barsley, I think. It was yeah. Barsley, yeah. So, you know, apparently that was, they, they say that this didn't, he wasn't actually knocked out. He just took a, took a dive. But if Wayne Rooney was to be seriously injured boxing or playing any other sport, you would imagine there'd be a lot of people at Manchester United very annoyed with him. Whereas if Rory McIlroy gets injured, yeah, maybe a few sponsors aren't overly happy if he can't make it to an event or two. But all in all, it's his own decision to make, Ken. Yeah. Uh, no, it's uh, his own decisions. He's, he's got personal autonomy, Rory McIlroy. It's a great thing about being uh, 
enormously wealthy and successful professional golfer. Kennedy's report on sport. Freedom, man, that's what he's got. I mean, I don't know if he's on. If he's on, uh, he's on Twitter, right, Roy McIlroy? Oh yeah. You know, maybe he's probably on Facebook as well. I don't. He probably has to be. You know, sponsors probably say, "Look, we need you. We need social media cloud is one of the things we're harnessing about you." Maybe he's on Facebook. I don't know. Um, but he can pretty much put up there whatever he wants, as long as he didn't want to put up something, you know, racist. <laughs> Assuming he doesn't want to put up something like that, he can put up whatever he wants. He's free. He's got autonomy. Uh, unlike. Uh, the doctor at Chelsea Football Club, uh, Ava Carnero, mm-hmm. who apparently uh, is not free to put up whatever she wants. In fact, she 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 needs to keep a very close counsel on what she's putting up there on social media because um, she's representing she's representing Chelsea Football Club. Uh, she's not just representing herself, and she needs to remember. I suppose she needs to know her place. Uh, that is the message of a former. Chelsea uh, football club doctor, Dr. Ralph Rogers. Dr. Ralph Rogers is not happy at all with Dr. Ava Carnero, his his successor, I guess, in the job. Or, um, In fact, uh, I think she was appointed in 2011, which is around the same time that Dr. Ralph Rogers' association with Chelsea ceased. Right. I'm sure it was an amicable. <laughs> These things always are, aren't they? <laughs> you're always you're always full of uh, respect and good feeling towards the person who succeeds you at a job. That's usually the way. So um, he says that she is a naive celebrity doctor. Yeah, it's basically what he's he's making the point is that it's the Facebook what's done it here. Um, she says he says uh, putting that thanks for the support note on Facebook was extremely naive. That would upset anyone. What was she trying to achieve there? Are you bigger than the manager? You're never going to win, are you? Who's to say when common sense prevailed and there was no more gasoline poured onto the situation, then everything could have just settled down. But when you add the Facebook and continue with it there, there's no chance she is still the first team doctor. You can't do your job. Bring in mind, what did she put on Facebook? Was must have been pretty incendiary for this kind of reaction. Uh, it was. Thank did you. Say, did she call Just Judge Mourinho? Also, thanks very much to the general public for all the support. Um, very much appreciated. <laughs> Two sentences. Um, but he 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 was talking to uh, the Daily Mail, um, Talksport as well. Um, you're the backroom staff. You're there to do a do- job. You're not there as a cheerleader. You can play to it. You can play down. It seems like she played to it. You're not supposed to be a celebrity. You can't be a celebrity doctor. Come on, let's get real. Dr. Ralph. This is disgusting stuff. RalphRogers.com. Ralph Rogers. RalphRogers.com. Surely she was trying to do exactly what he describes. She was trying to, she was trying to, uh, what he says doctors should do. Stay out of the limelight. Uh, don't be celebrities. She was trying to do her job. It was Justin Marini who catapulted, Justin Marini catapulted her right, right in there. there. The man himself has a resume that can't fail to impress. Dr. Ralph Rogers, MD, PhD, MBA, MBA, FACN, FECSS, FACSM, <laughs> FFSEM, brackets, Ireland and UK, close brackets. That's a whole lot of letters. And here's why. Uh, this is RalphRogers.com, the website of, of Ralph Rogers, Boy, the man we've just been talking about. Uh, now, there's a picture of Ralph Rogers here, and he reminds me of nothing so much as the dentist who recently killed Cyril the lion. Uh, he's got the same uh, dazzlingly white teeth, 
uh, the same sort of corporate um, uh, master of the universe pose, expensive suit, expensive tie. Uh, the suit jacket is pulled back just enough so you can see his expensive-looking gold watch. <laughs> and he's smiling dazzlingly at the camera. He seems to almost be a bit of a celebrity doctor himself. <laughs> I mean, he says that you can't be... Uh, you can't. He, it says Ralph is currently the leading sports and orthopedic doctor at 108 Harley Street. <laughs> I don't know how many doctors there are at that address, but he is definitely the number one sports and orthopedic doctor. Well, he uh, must be. I, I doubt any of the rest of them have as many letters after their name. He's got different sections on his on his uh, website. Uh, one is press. Uh, they're here. He's talking to Alex Thomas on CNN. Uh, he. Uh, he, you know, he, he, here he is talking about e-cigarettes, talking about Luis Suarez's meniscus injury, Tiger Woods's knee. Seems to be quite a lot of media activity here for a guy who thinks it's terrible to be a celebrity. Uh, and then there's obviously Dr. Ralph's blog, uh, which I encourage you. To, okay. I haven't personally read it myself, but I'm sure it's very good. So this is a guy who's he, he's he's coming out to bat for Chelsea or for Jose Mourinho. Uh, you know, if you're going to write something as incendiary as "Thanks for your support." Really, very much appreciated on Facebook. How can you possibly expect to not be humiliated and demoted? I assumed when you started that story that this guy was going to be weighing in in support of her, given that uh, most He's a doctor, of, um, yeah, most of the doctors have uh, from different clubs and different. Uh, the former Liverpool doctor is now in charge of the uh, Australian Peter team, at, team at the Ashes. Yeah, he was very forthright in his views. You probably can be a little more forthright when you're not involved in the sport anymore. Mm. Uh, he was pretty clear in where where he stood what, on it. What he said is, what do you expect the doctor to do? Just ignore the referee beckoning them on? The referee apparently indicated twice that they should come on. So they came on after the second indication for the ref. Come on. Uh, the medical staff deserve a public apology. I'm very disappointed the club hasn't come out and done something to support them. They were just doing their job. That's what uh, Peter Bruckner said, the guy you were just mentioning, the Australian. Mm. Uh, the Premier League doctors group also obviously supporting Ava Carnero. It's a bit of a surprise if they weren't supporting her, to be fair. Uh, unjust in the extreme is the decision to remove her from such lines. So, you know, this is a this is bad, a bad one for uh, Jose Maria. Just, uh, what a mess, you know, out of nothing, really. He's managed to create a, a mess for himself. But Ken, it's distracted us from the bad result at the start of the league campaign. Oh, God. Like Here we I mean, are talking about Ava Carniero rather than about the lackluster defending for both goals. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that is... Uh, an argument that has been made. I mean, it's a bullshit argument, but it's, it's a, an it's argument. A, it's a made. really, a really bad argument. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to have to do this to Luke Edwards, but he wrote in the Telegraph on the 9th of August um, a piece making essentially that argument. Owen, he said, uh, when your teams play badly, when the media will ask questions about the strength of Chelsea's title defence, given their relatively quiet summer of recruitment, every manager looks for a distraction technique. So uh, if everyone is talking about your behaviour or a bu- if a bust-up with the team doctor grabs the headline, people will not be asking so many questions about Chelsea's performance. The problem with this argument is that the cure in this case is much worse than the disease. If the disease was, oh no, people are going to be talking about how Chelsea, you know, uh, lack a bit of creativity going forward, you know, betrayed some surprising defensive vulnerability. This is much worse. This is like, oh, is... is is Jose Mourinho <laughs> paranoid dictator who you know demotes somebody for you know writing something on Facebook, which maybe could be interpreted as being slightly defined of him after he's publicly humiliated them? Is that is you know that's it's worse. I mean, he this article actually got worse. Uh, I'm afraid. 
because it went on to, and this is this is published before any of the news came out about the change in Ava Carneiro's okay. duties. Uh, it's essentially explaining that this is all part of Mourinho's plan. You know, he's he's seen the whole thing. What he's done there is it's a distraction technique. Um, it probably he picked on Ava Canero and made her the distraction. It probably was not very pleasant for her. Nobody likes to be criticised, least of all publicly. Her boss has questioned her judgment and competence and made her feel stupid. But Mourinho has not been so successful because he is a cruel bully who throws his players or backroom staff under the bus. Carnero will be feeling bruised. Her professionalism has been questioned and she has become a story when all she wants to do is look after the health of Chelsea's players. But Mourinho will know that. He will speak to her. He will tell her how good she is, how much he and the club value her. He will apologise and he will repair the damage, but he will do it in private. Eva Carnero served a purpose and he will thank her while making her understand why he had been angry. Okay, well, it's a little unfair reading this out after the event. This is why, I mean... Th- this, guy, whole, this guy obviously didn't... The, the whole is, thing it, is, is... It looks a bit ridiculous. You know, there. Mourinho w- won't actually do any of that. What he'll do is he'll do that. He'll, he'll effectively demote the, the woman. Um, so, I mean, I don't understand... I don't know where that information was coming from, that Mourinho will do all this, because obviously he, he did the opposite. Of that. Unless he also, while he was, you know, saying, listen, you're not allowed to come to the training, the matches, or the hotel, but I... I find you more valuable than ever as a member of staff. You just know, want you to know that. Even if all that had come to pass, and we wouldn't have known about it anyway, these behind-the-scenes chats, even if that was Mourinho's grand plan, and it's giving way too much credit to Mourinho for a start in, in how clinical he, clinically he thinks about these Absolutely, things. Absolutely, yeah. But uh, something we'll pick up with Dion a little bit later on, actually, that side of it, whether Mourinho gets too much credit for, for thinking these strategies through with, with regards to the media, I'm not sure necessarily that he does. I think a lot of it is just him reacting in a paranoid way to things that happen. But even if that was all true and that was his plan, that he was going to use this doctor issue to deflect from one result, which seems ludicrous anyway, that's still not right. That's still not right. Even telling her behind the scenes, listen, I'm going to belittle your professional reputation on, in, in the media. A lot of people who might never have known who you were before now will now know you as this doctor doesn't know what they're doing with regards to football because they're just running run on the pitch willy-nilly. But listen, it's okay because actually I, I rate your height. It's just like one of my media strategies. Yeah. Even if that was all true, what what is Eva Canero supposed to say to that anyway? Oh, it's great that you you, you decided to use me uh, as a human shield uh, to deflect <laughs> blame from yourself. It's madness. You really Any are a wonderful scenario, leader. There's no good scenario here for Mourinho. <laughs> it's great. Anyway, we'll get back to him in a bit with Dion, but um, what else is going on? Uh, Kevin De Bruyne's pursuit of him seems to be grinding to a halt a little bit from Man City, uh, who... Um, apparently De Bruyne is saying essentially he's not going to try and force through the move he's not going to try and do a Raheem Sterling on it if Wolfsburg um, don't want to sell him or if they feel the city haven't met their valuation he'll play for them this season and won't cause a problem uh, which is not as good a situation for City as if he was doing what Sterling did um, company talking about how great he is, what a complete player he is. A phenomenal player would improve any team. City Stadium, incidentally, has uh, increased. They've added 5,000 seats. Well, they've expanded it. So it's now the third largest in the uh, Premier League after Old Trafford and the Emirates, ahead of uh, St. James's Park. 55,000 capacity, and it will be open, apparently, for the game against Chelsea, uh, which is going to be an interesting one this Sunday. Um, just looking at a thing that uh, ESPN had done showing... Um, we're going to be talking to Gabriel Marcotti in a little while about the, uh, the, I mean, kind of continuing the conversation we have with Jonathan Wilson on Monday about this kind of, you know, ever accelerating wealth 
coming into the Premier League. It's in the middle of a kind of crazy boom at the moment. Um, and obviously, one aspect of it is the TV deals, and, and we're going to talk to Gabrielle about the, the new uh, NBC deal. To It's a six-year deal to show the Premier League in America um, that they've just uh, inked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, ESPN had have a feature at the moment just showing the uh, Premier League shirts. And it's pretty amazing what's going on there as well. Just essentially the value of the of the different shirts, uh, and it kind of shows that. I mean, there's, there's that thing about City having added five thousand seats, and obviously Liverpool have been for ages and ages trying to increase their stadium, and now are actually building a, an expansion onto Anfield. Um, how sort of irrelevant these little bricks and mortar projects are becoming compared to the kind of uh, virtual presence of these clubs which is now almost a, which is now a bigger earner um, Manchester United's shirt is generating 122 million pounds a year <laughs> like, Jesus this is unbelievable you know this is we're talking about the between uh, the manufacturer and the shirt sponsor 122 million a year it's incredible um, the, which makes it by far the most valuable in the league um, so what is that figure? Sorry, is that is that the profit that ends up with the club? Is that that's sales? the that's that's the income that's the revenue generated by the Manchester United kit, uh, Adidas between Adidas and Chevrolet. Uh, Chevrolet's deal is uh, what three hundred twenty nine million uh, over seven years. Adidas is seven hundred. Oh, sorry, so it's on, 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 the spon- it's on the sponsorship Sp- front as opposed to sponsorship and manufacturing as opposed to sales. Because I assume yeah. when I assume Adidas at least are keeping that money. <laughs> I mean, I mean Adidas surely are are not buying the shirt or paying seven hundred fifty million euros to make the shirt only for Manchester United then to take all the money they get from selling the shirt. Presumably, I mean, I guess right. I always assumed Adidas are that's that's the way it works, right? Um, not How do you just pay? Sure. Here's your money, and then they sell the shirt, and then they keep that money, right? Uh, uh, you, I don't know. I, I don't, maybe not. Not necessarily. Maybe not. Um, but anyway, look, 122 million. That's the um, that's that's a big, big, big figure. The next biggest figure is seven, 75 million, which is Chelsea, Arsenal 60 million, Liverpool 53, Man City 52. So you can see there's a big gap to Chelsea, and then like a little bunch of teams. Then it goes down to 26 is Spurs is the next one. So that's half of Man City, another kind of big drop. At the bottom, you've got Bournemouth, 1 million. So when you talk about the Premier League being this kind of equitable league, it's becoming less so all the time, really. I mean, the TV money is still relatively equally divided, but these um, these commercial figures are beginning to just go absolutely crazy. But I thought I mean, we were saying it is becoming more equitable, not more equitable, but I thought we were saying that the mid-ranking teams are becoming... More wealthy, even in comparison. Well, the, to the the mid-ranking teams are just becoming richer than all than you know most of your other your you know your Diddy European teams like Roma and Dortmund and you know Marseille and these kind of teams, these. right? Um, but in terms of the the inequality within the Premier League, it's actually increasing, or rather, these kind of forces are making it even more unequal. Manchester United have had the biggest stadium for a long time, mm-hmm. but the, this is an even bigger sort of factor of difference. Uh, that they now have going for them. So, anyway, we could sit here talking about money literally all day on, but let's not bother do, doing that. Um, in fact, let's let's finish now. Let's finish, finish now and talk to let's talk to Dion. All right. Well, that's the end of Kennedy's. The abrupt end of Kennedy's report on sport.
Dion Fanny, this Ava Canero story, um, I mean, it's obviously turned into the, um, this massive PR fiasco for Mourinho, but is it, you know, we're talking about it in the podcast where everyone's writing about it, do any of these things, when it comes down to it, actually matter? Is Mourinho not pretty much bulletproof anyway? It gives us all stuff to talk about, but it won't really be of any importance to him or maybe more importantly to his seniors at the club. I think I think they do. I think there's... Uh, you know, there's a tendency to say, "Oh, none of none of this matters," um, and you know, it, it kind of it, it follows on from the sort of standard explanation of this of something like this that this is just Mourinho uh, deflecting attention away from a bad result. Now, I don't, I don't. In this instance, I don't really buy that. I don't think uh, uh, what Mourinho, you know, what Mourinho has been kind of saying in the, in the summer and in the build-up to the season. Um, I think. You would you would actually look at the result last on Saturday and think actually to get what he wants, which is Chelsea to spend money, it would be in his interest to focus on the result. Uh, I don't think people are going to start talking about Chelsea in crisis because they draw their first match at home. Uh, so and I, I think this idea that everything Mourinho does is incredibly calculated. You know, a man who is as prone to sort of paranoia and uh, conspiratorial sort of a conspiratorial view of the world does occasionally just essentially just poke himself in the eye. And I think this is what, you know, one of these instances where Mourinho's kind of, his, 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 his brain is, over, oh, is, over, is overworking and is getting himself into a situation which he doesn't need to be in and is actually in danger. Already you can see a way of Chelsea's season not working out as it should because of, of, of his sort of, his, his recidivism, if you like. Yeah. Duncan Castles, Dion, a journalist who is um, seems to have good sources around Mourinho. He's certainly had a few Jose Mourinho scoops in the past, uh, has written a piece about this, where he makes the claim um, Mourinho is said to have held reservations about Carnero's role within the first-team squad since at least last year. While there is no question about her professional abilities, the Portuguese coach was concerned that the dressing room dynamic was affected by the presence of a female. According to a source, (laughs) some players had expressed misgivings to the coaching staff about the setup, arguing that it forced them to alter their usual behaviour in a team environment. Famous for his attention to detail, Mourinho has always sought to eliminate factors that might reduce his team's likelihood to win matches. Now, <laughs> it should again be emphasized that this is this has been written by Duncan Castles, and it's not in any. I mean, these the, aren't direct quotes. The link to Mourinho is that Mourinho is said to have held reservations, and and so on. And these, I suppose, he's being said to have had these particular reservations. Those reservations are illegal, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think there's any chance of anyone at Chelsea uh, confirming that as that is, that is a reason for this, because you say like that's uh, sexual discrimination. Uh, and you know, 
um, you kind of think of Richard Keyes and it was just banter. Um, you know, Mourinho, Mourinho is hardly going to say I was just defending banter um, as, his, as his reason for kind of going to war with, going to war with his doctor. Um, it's, no, it's, it's an impossible, whether it's, uh, you know, Duncan Castles is a very good journalist who gets, you know, who, especially in stories surrounding uh, Mourinho and, and uh, George Mendes. And, you know, you, you wouldn't question, you know, that there is a source saying this, but there is nobody at Chelsea or any, you know, or Mourinho is going to kind of confirm something suggesting that. Well, I mean, it, it does kind of touch on an interesting issue surrounding this, though, which is that, okay, I mean, the thing about Eva Carnero is that she is, I mean, it's difficult to think of any other women who are employed, at, you know, in the Premier League, you know, uh, the, you know, as, who, who are working at that kind of level in men's football. I mean, there's obviously Karen Brady. Um, there are, there are, you know, women on the staff, uh, the sort of office staff of various clubs, but she's actually there, uh, a woman on the technical staff of one of the important clubs. So, and she's and she's literally the only one in the industry. And here's Jose Mourinho, kind of, uh, you know, taking her on in public or demoting her. Um, it doesn't it doesn't really look right. I mean, I wonder if you think there is a kind of an, an aspect here of of sexism to to what's happening because. Or, or is it simply that because she's literally the only female um, working at this level in the industry that it almost looks like sexism just because, you know, she's, she's in conflict with Mourinho here? Well, I think there are aspects of it that look like sexism. Uh, but again, you'd want to be very careful of saying that when you know, Mourinho is capable of going to war uh, with anybody. Uh, so you could say he's equal opportunities, employer like that. He will, he will attack uh, anyone or he's attacked doctors in the past. He's, you know, he's, you know, he's gone to war with people in, inside clubs. Like, it doesn't really matter to him. Uh, I think when he comes out and, and there is this unfortunate sort of echo of sexism when he comes out and says things like, "You have to understand the game," uh, even if you're a secretary. Yeah. Um, so that does it does it doesn't it doesn't it sounds like a sexist speaking. Uh, you know, the source, you know, the source who says that this because players were inhibited from their normal routines would suggest that that's got something to do with it. And we're not, uh, no matter how far football has advanced in, in, uh, in, in recent years, um, you know, we're not, we're not, nobody can make a claim that what, what footballers talk about uh, in a dressing room isn't, isn't, you know, isn't probably profoundly, profoundly sexist and, you know, dealing with uh, women in a way that you wouldn't want to hear women being talked about. Um, you look at Richard Sadler's column last week about uh, what goes on in a dressing room. I think that's uh, that that kind of sums it up. So we know we know what it, what the reality is, and we you know it might differ from what we would like things to be, um, but it still doesn't allow for Mourinho to to make you know to to deal with 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 staff on that basis. Now again, he may feel he may just have objections to. Various things that have, that have happened over, you know, with the medical team. We don't know what they are. I think it's kind of extraordinary considering Chelsea won the won the league last year with essentially about twelve players. Yeah, that medical team are working miracles last year yeah. to keep those guys. And last and, year and the cost he also is so them. Yeah, he did. And the Costa, there seems to be this suggestion that he wasn't happy because Diego Costa had problems with his hamstrings last year. But if I remember Diego Costa in the World Cup, the guy could barely walk around the pitch. And even in the Champions League final, uh, the season before he arrived at Chelsea, and he was, seemed to be in tatters by the time he arrived there. I thought they did quite well to get anything out of him last year. And you also, there was the incident with, uh, with Oscar in the Arsenal game when he came off 
eventually at half time having you know got, a, got a, what looked like a, a you know a smack in the head and he was named on the bench a few days later um and at that time i think Mourinho described his his medical team as fantastic even though there were people, Chelsea got angry, very angry that I think a doctor who was on the kind of uh, FA advisory panel said that they had sort of, you know, that they had kind of, what they had done was sort of unacceptable in regards to concussion protocols. Mm. But Mourinho at that stage was saying, uh, this is fantastic, you know, that we got, he didn't have concussion, he didn't have a head injury, um, even though he had to go to hospital, uh, uh, you know, uh, with, with, and, and looked like he'd sort of, you know, he looked like he was kind of woozy on the, on the field. Um, but at that point, Oscar being on the bench three days later was 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 something that made, you know Mourinho was able to say the medical team were fantastic and I think we see uh, if you're looking for some kind of a unified theory when the team when the team is put ahead of everything else Mourinho is Mourinho is happy like he got caught out of, you know there was basically an act of you know a classic Mourinho act of gamesmanship on Saturday uh, where he wanted Hazard to kind of run down time a bit. And uh, and this was this was scuppered by Eva Canero. Yeah, who who apparently uh, was called onto the field twice by the referee, and uh, and that was at the behest of Eden Hazard, who <laughs> maybe he maybe he didn't realize how uninjured he was supposed to be at that stage. Um, but the, I mean, obviously, this, because there's been a story that's been going on now for a few days. Um, some of the kind of correspondents who cover it have been. Um, finding out a little bit what we already heard what Duncan Castles was saying. Um, David Heidner in The Guardian, uh, the story that they have today reckons that the, uh, well, starts the line is, Eva Carnero's decision to take to Facebook in the wake of her public dressing down by Jose Mourinho sealed her demotion at Chelsea. Uh, to be honest, I can kind of see how this would work. I mean, knowing what we know of Mourinho, having been watching him over the years, he doesn't really like anything. He can't tolerate anything that looks like dissent or disloyalty, even if it's, um, you know, fairly muted in the way that her Facebook post was. Um, is that, in your opinion, uh, you know, does that show as a strong manager who's running the club with an iron fist or is it a sign rather of weakness from uh, Jose Mourinho? Well, it, it's a familiar sign, and it's a sign of his of his normal uh, his, his his normal weaknesses, if you like, his normal tendencies towards self destruction. And I think that this is the beyond the details of this story. I do think this is the most interesting aspect of this. There's this sense of Mourinho as a kind of psychic drain uh, that you know, ultimately he 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 just he wears everyone out. Wears everyone down, including himself. And you went into this season, you know, Chelsea ended last season and everyone was saying Abramovich is happier than he's ever been. Their relationship is better than ever. Uh, you know, nothing, you know, there's much more stability. The club Mourinho is happy with how everything, everything is being done these days. Then we get a drip, drip, drip over the summer. Every, every attack on everybody, whether it was uh, Martinez at Everton, whether it was Arsenal being league, league you know, title contenders because they're spending money. Everything kind of fed back into one thing, which was that Chelsea hadn't been hadn't been signing players. Um, and you kind of think, right, this is Mourinho. He's there is there is some dissatisfaction here. Then, just, just the kind of draining aspect of even the Community Shield handshake, having this kind of uh, psychodrama around a handshake in, in the before the season has even begun, and then feeding immediately into this. And you kind of wonder, you can't keep going at this pace. This can't go on. Maybe it will all settle down. But there is, again, you know, as, a, as he enters his third season, there is this sense of, how, is, this, is this how he's going to destroy himself this time? Yeah. Listen, Dion, brilliant stuff as always. Thanks a million.
Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Ken. A nice phrase from Dion there, Mourinho being this psychic drain, mm. uh, which he... Was he always this angry? Was he always this... Did he always behave this way? Um, he seems to be going into No, I think, he's, I think he's a bit... I think he's a bit more aggressive now than he... he or he's not as uh, humorous as he used to be. Uh, there's also the fact that his, his position has changed a little bit. Previously, there was Ferguson. Ferguson was kind of the establishment, you know? And Mourinho was almost like a little... I mean, little sense. You know, Mourinho was kind of a, a challenger, like an outsider, you know? Whereas now he's kind of the sort of top dog. But it's like, um, you know, uh, I don't know if he's necessarily cut out to be. I think he's better as the kind of renegade outsider, you know? I mean, his, his best moment, the best moment of his life was... Running down the touchline at Old Trafford? A similar uh, type the, of situation. In, for Porto in, in the... That was a good moment, but I think the best moment of his life was, his, was happened a little later. What was it? Do you, I think uh, you can guess it. Are we still with Porto at this stage? No. We've we're, moved on. We've moved on to Chelsea. We've moved on. Between Porto and Chelsea. I don't no, know. we've moved on after Chelsea. Oh. Uh, Inter Milan? Champions uh, League? And what was the best moment? Beating, beating Barcelona. Yeah! Yeah! Beating Barcelona. <laughs> Running out onto the field at the Camp Nou <laughs> and just giving it oh, to all you Barcelona. You know, you, you've hated me all these years. Uh, but, you know... We all saw what happened there, and then turning on the sprinklers. Yes, and, uh, yeah, yeah. just oh, this is the greatest. That was the that was his greatest moment. But that's like his his idea. It's me against you know this this stadium of ninety thousand people, you know, and I've just defied them all. And that's like he's happiest in that situation, like me against the world. They everyone has to look at me and go, oh. you know, the, uh, he, he's you know. Whereas when he has to kind of be the establishment, I don't know. He, I don't know if he quite knows how to do it. It's like he, he seems increasingly to be this vortex. Where he constantly needs, like, um, you kind of need to feed in more. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like a psychic drain, you know, like a, everyone needs to be telling him how amazing he is all the time, or like he just kind of goes, ah, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch develop over the next few weeks. Gabriele Mercati is ready to chat to us, Gabriele, about the Premier League rights deal that's been struck with NBC in the US. We talked a little bit about this, I just touched on it earlier on. £500 million is the reported fee for a six year contract, which is long enough. Now, NBC is a network that everyone pretty much has in the US as opposed to a cable outlet. That sounds like a pretty good deal overall. Well, it's um, there's a couple of things to that. Um, so uh, if those numbers are correct, and I haven't seen the definitive confirmation, but um, you know, you're talking about it's, it's, it's something like 500 million pounds, something like $720 million, which over six years is about $120 million a year. Which is about a fifty percent increase, just under. It's about it's about one and a half times um, what they were paying now. So it's um, it's a good increase. It's not an incredible out of this world increase um, when you look at sort of the success that the Premier League's had on television. Uh, so that's good. I think what, what what the Premier League looked for was they they looked for um, somebody who was really fully committed to it. And you're correct. NBC is a national network, but by the same token. Um, I don't think that would have penalized or for Fox were that penalized uh, because obviously they're a national network as well. Most of the Premier League games aren't going to be on the main NBC network, but they'll be on, on the NBC um, sports channel. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and that's a cable network. But still, most of the country gets cable. They've got a good um, online um, distribution platform as well. 
So I think it just shows that they're very committed to, to the Premier League right now. It, six years seems like quite a long deal by the standards of the Premier League who like to sell, certainly to the domestic market, in three-year periods. Why do, you think it's, uh, why do you think they've gone for six in this case? Honestly, I think they made a mistake. Um, you know, I, I, the reason the Premier League goes for three-year deals is that the Premier League rights continue to rise, right? And if you go for six years... Um, then obviously you're not going to get the benefit of that uplift until the next deal. Um, as it w- was explained to me, you know, the Premier League preferred a three-year deal, but they said we'll go for a six-year deal if it's something huge that blows us out of the, you know, blows everybody out of the water. Now, bidding one and a half times what you bid before, I don't think necessarily does that because remember, you know, the U.S. market isn't. Isn't like like Britain, where where, seven, where you know where it's a mature market and a seventy percent um, uplift is a really really big deal. Here we're talking about you know uh, just just under a fifty percent uplift in you know in a market that's still growing, and they committed to that for six years. So um, I don't know. I, I guess they must have looked beyond money and looked at the fact that you know basically Premier League and hockey are pretty much everything NBC has sports wise. So. You know, they're they're really, really big priority to them in a way that, you know, maybe they wouldn't have been for for some other broadcasters like Fox, for example. Uh, Do you get the impression that the growth of the Premier League in the United States is is outpacing the growth of MLS? No, I mean, it's it's very, very different situations, I think. Um, Yeah, but wait, first of all, with MLS, you're also talking about, obviously, a match-going audience, and that's... And I think that's a pretty pretty strong factor. What what's interesting with MLS is that while in the Premier League you have you know a big game, so Arsenal can play Manchester United, and that will get you know very high ratings, um, you know relative to uh, you know say um, Sunderland playing West Brom. Um, in MLS, it's kind of interesting because because there's such parity in the league. Uh, MLS will have a good following locally. Um, but you know, if you're in uh, if you're in Chicago, and the big MLS game that week is is Houston uh, Dynamo against DC United, um, that's not necessarily going to draw any better um, because you know you, you people aren't necessarily interested, or it doesn't have the national appeal in that way. It's got tremendous tremendous local appeal, and uh, um, but but it doesn't translate in the same way. So I think it's a bit hard to measure. What did you think, uh, Gabrielle, of the video there for a couple of days ago of the um, the warring, um, I don't know if you call them gangs of New York or whatever, the New York, New Jersey derby, um, and some of the some of the kind of fans were getting proper naughty in the streets uh, around. What did you make of that? They were shouting at each other in English accents. It was bizarre. Were, were these English people, do you think, were they reliving the, the 80s or, or were they just channeling Green Street? I have no idea, but I would definitely lean towards uh, the latter. I, I, I thought it was funny. I mean, I, there's obviously an appeal to a certain idealized, stylized version of, uh, of a football culture across the pond. 
and uh, and, and and that was part of it. Um, yeah, they they looked extraordinarily silly. How long do you think it is before the police shoot somebody who's just trying to have a bit of? Fun oh, stop as... it! Stop <laughs> it! This idea that just because, like, I bet your police don't carry guns and they're all very, very nice and whatever, and you think that the police in the U.S. go around with guns and shoot everything. Well, that's up <laughs> that's that's pretty. Yeah, we pretty much everything you've said so far is is what we believe. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if I were if, if I were really really cynical, I would point you to the fact that the uh, people in those videos fighting um, were of a certain ethnicity that's that's less likely to get shot at for minor infractions like throwing things around on the street. All right, uh, Gabriel, I know you're in Italy at the moment, uh, and something we've been talking about quite a bit already this season after only one game is this rising of the wealth levels of the middle-tier teams, even the lower-tier teams, really, within the Premier League. I mean, like Crystal Palace buying Johan Gabay, looked at Swansea last weekend, looked absolutely superb against Chelsea. There seems to be, uh, if not a levelling out, uh, certainly a rising the standards of the lesser teams there with the money coming in. Is it getting to a point uh, where the likes of Serie A are getting a little bit worried that even some of their top teams, for example, Roma, were looking for Kabai and he ends up going to Crystal Palace? Is that a problem? Yeah, I don't know this Kabai to Roma story uh, comes from. I, um, it strikes me as the kind of thing that somebody would just kind of make up. Um, I, I can see the link. Obviously, Rudy Garcia had Kabai. At Lille back in the day, but if there's a position that Roma didn't need um, right now, it's, it's it's central midfield where Kabai plays. They've got many more players, and they've many better players than uh, than Kabai. Um, I I think you know obviously there is more money sloshing around uh, in that middle um, that that middle tier. Um, but by the same token, Kabai, when you factor in his wages and his cost, you know he represents a big investment. He's a big star. Um, for for Crystal Palace, I don't think it's simply the the new TV deal because the Premier League's version of financial fair play, as you know, limits um, the the uplift or, or the increase in um, in in wages uh, that that's sort of directly related to the, the TV deal up to four million pounds a season. Um, but obviously, you know, those clubs at that level, especially when it comes to wages, uh, they've also they've always been been capable of. Um, of taking on you know guys like Kabai, who was at a big club in France, who wasn't wanted by them anymore, and nobody else in France was going to pick up his wages. So obviously he came, you know, he was punted around in that way, and uh, and Palace went for him, and, and then they put the money um, for him up front. Um, but I, I don't know that it's um, it's necessarily going to have, or it's necessarily part of a huge trend, or, or people are somehow concerned about. It. I think they're happy that you know there's there's places where. You know they can go and, and place people and get their money back. So, exactly. So, essentially, the Premier League might be a kind of um, uh, a buyer of last resort for all the unwanted players of, of uh, the Spanish, Italian, and German leagues. That it, it may be a case of uh, they're quite happy to have this uh, all this stupid money sloshing around in England because it um, it, it reduces uh, their the risk of their any financial mistakes they themselves might make. They can just um, sell players off to England, there'll always be somebody prepared to buy our players there. Which, which is the role that Galatasaray and Fenerbahce in many ways um, served uh, on, you know, uh, as well, or, or some, some Russian teams. Now, like, I, I'm not saying the Premier League, I, I'm, I'm saying those mid-tier teams in, in the Premier League, I mean, Stoke um, is an obvious example of that as well. You know, they're not, 
they're not in a position just now where they're coming in and they're they're poaching um, the, the you know the, the best players. If it, if it starts happening, then 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 yeah, then I think it, it will be concerned. But I think the situation that they're in is these mid tier clubs like Palace and like Stoke. You know, they look at it and they say, well, we can add some real value here because we can we can take on those wages and we can take on uh, that expense. Um, but they're not in a situation right now where you know they're prying away the superstars uh, from from the bigger teams in in, in Spain, France, Germany, or Italy. Uh, not yet. Um, we may get there soon, but, but we're not there yet. All right, Gabriele, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. My pleasure. Yeah, interesting there. We were, when we were talking to Jonathan about all this on Monday, he felt it was pretty bad news for other for le- other leagues that the Premier League was getting richer and richer. But uh, Gabriele thinks maybe not totally bad news. It does suit teams in other leagues that they know they can offload players of only middling quality for massive fees. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. You can always you can always just offload for big money things. Like for instance, Soldado, I think is leaving Tottenham now. Um, how much did he cost? Something new, close to thirty million, like an insane amount of money. He, he ran around for a bit. Everyone went. We paid how much? We paid how much for this guy? You know. Um, he's a finisher who doesn't finish. He doesn't really. What does he do? You know, he's he's kind of a, you know, not slightly underpowered, um, not very confident. Uh, you know, but Valencia were quite happy to take the money for him and, and sort of buy better players. And this is what um, clubs can do. I mean, they can. Um, they've got like. Uh, I mean, for instance, if you look at Atletico, it's reported today in Spain that Atletico, since Diego Simeone is the manager, have sold 283 million euros worth of players. Mm. You know, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, and, and a, lar- a large portion of that has gone to, you know, English clubs. English clubs are like, oh, you know, give us your players. We've seen you get to the Champions League final. We'll take, you know, we'll pay anything. Um, and they're able to, as I mean, as long as you can kind of keep, as long as you can be clever about the players you recruit, you're always going to be able to sell them on to these guys, you know. So it's in a way, it's kind of handy, um, and it also stimulates the development of local talent in those leagues. Mm-hmm. Because if they're if the players are being taken out of the first teams, then it creates space for the local kind of players to come up through. It's exactly the opposite of the situation they have in England, where you know none of their young players can can get in. I know we've got a. I think we have a few listeners anyway to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast who don't necessarily download the non-football show regularly. We've got a good few listeners in the UK maybe not too concerned with the finer points of Monaghan's blanket defence but if you are one of those people I think today is a day to change your mind on that one you should really enjoy our chat with Murph's uncle Jim Carney about his experiences as a commentator for Ortiz during the 1978 World Cup in Argentina Jim's one of our all time favourite guests he is genuinely an uncle of Murph uh, amazing storyteller and he came up with some some great ones Ken Addy McLeod press conference one liners yeah. the, uh, the Argentina-Peru 6-0 game Jim was at that and yeah. one goal in particular struck him as a little bit dubious. <laughs> There's a couple of dubious goals in that game, I uh, have to say. I think a lot of people think so, but as Jim said himself during the chat, there, there are, there's always one memory. When something happened that long ago, there's generally one memory that remains steadfast in your mind as a lot of the others have drifted off. And in his case, it was one 35-yard header 
which seemed to separate the defenders quite uh, almost like a, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the paraphrase here again almost like a, a great double shot in tennis. Yeah, it just splits the players right down the middle. It looks like nobody can get anywhere near it. That's yeah. what this header did for Argentina. Well, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it really does happen that way. Ah, uh, he also shared the cockpit of a plane with Billy Wright, the more than one hundred times captain England international. But I don't take away all the stories. Do have a listen to that one if you have any time. It'll be out today. That's Thursday afternoon. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening to the football show as always. Thank you, Ken. Thank you too. And we'll talk. Talk to you again soon. Take care. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.